Hello, welcome to episode 30. Do, do, do. That should have like a massive fanfare or something. We do need to add music to be fair because, you know, it's a bit kind of like here's some people talking. <laughs> background music. We have to choose what background music it is. Um, something dramatic. Yeah. Well, depending, we should actually get somebody to do the soundtrack as we're talking. So, like, when we go into something dramatic, we should like, da, 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 or something like that. Or Jaws music or something like that. Yeah, they're banging out Jaws again. Yeah, I know, remake of Jaws. My dad said not to watch Jaws 2 because uh, apparently they go through a lot of catamarans. Oh, okay. Yes, which you have now in catamarans. I have now. <laughs> well, the audience listening to the podcast has Don't no know. idea of your new habit. My new habit. habit. <laughs> hobby. Hobby, interest, distraction. Something that's not dog focused. I needed to do something that wasn't dog focused, yes. So I'm learning to sail. Yeah. Finally. And you got a boat? I did. I got a little boat. A little boat going to sail, so you actually have time totally away from all communication and all dogs. It's actually great leaving the phone behind. Like, yeah. I don't miss it. It's amazing. I, I get angsty when I don't have my phone. Yeah. It's I like when I record these podcasts, I'm not getting messages, I'm responding to messages. Wow. Because we're recording them on my phone, so I have to be really, really good. So this is your time away? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I've got the, the formula for this entirely correct, I've got to say. Um, well, my angsty is now answering the phone. I'm not sure when this happened, but when I get an unknown number coming up, as in like a mobile number or something, and it's probably a client, I'm realising that I'm committing the moment that I'm answering the phone. Because if I go, I don't want to work with this person, yes. um, it's, it's rude, so I need to come up with, a, I have to engage brain and come up with a really polite thing to say which doesn't tend to be very polite it tends to be I'm not going to work with you here's another trainer <laughs> yeah so so that's not that's understandable because you're overwhelmed by a mass of messages and contact and you have multiple threads you'll have things about puppies you'll have things about puppy class you have things about yes. walks you have things about reactive dogs you have things about people who've had a dog and you've helped and now they're gonna you know so sometimes I, I get kind of themes you know I can be absolutely fine and then one day I'll get a message from maybe three clients. Mm-hmm. My microphone's being adjusted. Um, <coughs> I'll get a message from like three clients, all struggling, just randomly, they, from spread out over all sorts of time. I'll get an email and a message and something else. So I can be sitting there, everything's fine, and then suddenly I've got three clients who are in crisis. And I'm messaging and responding to them, and then nobody ever gets back to me and tells me that they're not in crisis anymore. It's, it's probably the okay. same with you, right? So you, when you hear something, it means that they need you for something. When everything's going well, very rarely Absolutely. do people get in touch with you. I had a client the other day who did it, who just went, just went to let you know everything's going great. Oh, that was so nice that to hear nice, that. Yeah. Really I would like to hear that. Please, yeah. please message me when everything's going great. <laughs> um, so most of the time when I when I answer the phone, it's not so much that I um, don't want the client. That's not very fair to say. Most of the time, it's um, the next five minutes of my life is listening to their problems. So yes. I don't know many jobs that are um, s- like so uh, direct like that. Yes. Like immediately as you answer the phone, here is my life story and all my problems and yeah. what are you going to do about it. It's pretty intense. Yeah, and when you get that all the time, yeah. it's a bit like, oh. And for you, the consequence of not helping it could be potentially fatal, right? Well, that's right? the thing, right? Because it's always the end point, as we've discussed before. So if I don't uh, do something about this, because it's my responsibility when I answer the phone. In fact, here's, here's a great example. Today, somebody phoned to say, I'd like more information about the livestock workshop. And I actually breathed a sigh of relief that was audible to her. <laughs> 
I was on the way to see you, and I was like, I don't have time to speak to someone 15 minutes about their problems, right. you know, or yeah, convince yeah. them that I can help them or whatever. So um, I was actually like, oh, that's, that's an easy one. I can answer yeah. this in a few minutes, and then we'll be over, you know. Uh, um, but yeah, it's uh, terrible because I, I didn't used to feel this way about answering the phone, and now no. I just don't want to. But you need to as a b- business. But y- you do. It, it's and, and that's why you, you know you can get um, VAs, virtual assistants, who will do the answering. There's call answering services for things like that that they take the basic details, and you only get a pre-filtered version of it. I, I can't for me, my job it doesn't support it. You know, I need to speak to the person. Um, but in a lot of other jobs, it's absolutely critical. To, to use somebody to be your first level of filtering, and, and we do it with that the form, sense. right? We have the form for the first level of filtering. It does make sense. But yeah, it's 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 learning to manage being self-employed in a job that is helping people. And that's what I was saying to my work experience girl this week. Um, you know that self-employed sounds fantastic, and she's like, oh, "You've got all this free time." I'm like, "Yeah, but you didn't see me last night, at 11 o'clock at night, writing my report for two hours for a behavioural session." And do you know? It to door. And sending it to Dawn to proofread. Who then re- proofread it at 11 o'clock last night. Sorry about that, Dawn. <laughs> it's okay. My, I always say to my clients, like, I'm a grown-up. I can choose whether I read my emails or not. It's not your choice. So, you know. But part of it I think me. you find interesting because, yeah, you know. it's fine. It's all, not, well, I wouldn't do it if I didn't. It's all learning, isn't but it? But it is, um, it, you know, and, and I think you were saying that when we first got here today, um, that it's nice to have somebody who does something similar that you can actually talk to. You've not introduced what number this is. I know. We just I got know talk- I said episode 30. Did we you? We introduce ourselves. Oh, okay. We just went straight into talking. This is Dawn Walton. She's the human therapist. Oh, this is this is Jess. She's dog behaviourist or animal behaviourist. Oh, I'm boring today. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't do quite as dramatic a Jess. I always say Jess in the corner. You kind of are in the corner a little bit today. Leaning against You're the wall, in the so. corner. I've got a nice little corner. It's really quiet. Like it's great, it's nice isn't it? It's quiet. Nobody's around. Although it's blowing a hoolie outside, so it it's is better not being. It's nice outside. It's one of those yucky days where you don't want to be out. No, too much, too much wind. Yeah, but you know, there we go. So, uh, anyway, what were we talking about today? Um, so, um, punishment, aversiveness, mm-hmm. and learning. Right, so you're always on about uh, learning through experience and yes. learning through failure. So we need to learn what works, what doesn't work. That's how our brains take in information and um, gain the experience yep. to make good decisions in the future. So when we speak about dogs, and I unfortunately these days speak about programming. I say unfortunate because the more I learn about dogs, the more I've realised that they are just like computers that have a bit of emotion. Um, and to be honest, they they fall in love with whoever they're living with that's yeah. kind of what happens it's not the same connection as humans have so no. I find it hard when people um, try and talk about trauma or grief in the same way that humans experience it because I yeah. don't agree um, that dogs have the same so it yes it feels like it undermines the human side of it as well I think you know yeah and we have a much um, bigger prefrontal cortex we have a much uh, more advanced amygdala and you know generally they're just lesser versions of us that we enjoy cuddling um, so yeah, sometimes I do wonder my own uh, reasoning about living with little beings that are, do you know, I've got so many of them. Uh, you see, it's still it's still nice being around a dog, right? A dog is a nice pet to have. It is, but I think that's more the human, <coughs> the human, putting that on the dog rather than the dog itself. Yeah, I wonder. That's a, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? it it's um, you know, we we have talked about 
the dog doesn't really need the affection that we give them and things like that in, in our hierarchy of needs that we talk about humans versus dogs you know it is a lot simpler but you know dogs aren't unhappy in our households either your, your dogs are pretty happy they're they're chilled and happy and they're very um they're still in your house and they're still following your rules and they're still abiding by the human world and you know may have to deal with dogs they don't particularly like being around them in their house as well you know that they're, they're not it's not all their choice and they're still pretty happy little dogs so it's not all bad no no i don't think it's bad i just think the way that i i see things with dogs now is a little bit different so yeah. um why am i living with these little assholes is the question that i ask myself <laughs> you know um and they're you cute. are you they are cute but they are what you make them, I do believe yes. that. So we, I had a plan for Tuzi. It's gone. Um, it's been executed to the point. Do you know? Yes, absolutely. And um, with Tristan as well. Yep. Do you know? And yes, along the way it has been very, very difficult. But I've stuck with what I believe to be true. And I now have dogs that nobody would believe you could have any other way because they're so nice to yes. everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and tolerant and, and so on. So. Um, you can follow a formula and you can get I, that's what I mean, what I have want. a formula and you, I have a... You can't a with a human, you can't follow a formula I wonder if you could, outcome. though. This, this would be the ultimate because experiment. you couldn't know... So, so my child is an experiment, right? My child's an experiment. There are so many factors that are not just about you yeah, and your environment. Yeah, there really are. So, so, you know, I, I... You have to keep it in a box. You have to do like... What was the German guy that kept his kids under the stairs and bred with them? <laughs> what was he called? <laughs> But that in itself is, <laughs> is not the kind of formula that you know works for Well, that's right? true. That's yeah. the problem. Lack so, of exposure and life skills. So I've, I've got a formula, essentially, that says, you know, don't worry what people think because you've got no control over it. Be yourself. Um, don't worry about how you look. Just, you know, be happy with who you are. Don't... So you've put that on your, your child. child since um, But born. she's still... He, she, they, still, they... Yeah. It makes me feel like you've got more than one I kid know. when you say they. Um so, but um, you can say she. It's fine. <laughs> um, Ash is still uh, worried about the bus driver. Yeah. So um, we'll go into town and we'll worry about meeting a friend um, or crossing paths with a friend in town. If um, so, if we go out to Asda or something, she'll need to wash her hair before we go out because her hair needs to be really nice. So even though even though I have absolutely with experience based work indoctrinated into my child ever since primary school that nobody cares and nobody's thinking about you I still have a child that is programmed genetically to worry what people think the difference is she gets over it really quickly so she doesn't change her behavior too she's much she's resilient she's incredibly resilient do you think dogs worry about what people think <laughs> or what dogs think because that's future pacing I don't think they can do future I don't think they worry about stuff I think they are so why can we ever even um, think about them having trauma that's the thing, right? So, so I think so many things are using past and present to predict future. And I think dogs use past and present to predict what I should do right now. They don't do what will happen next. So they're like, um, you know, I probably will go on a walk today. And yesterday I had a really bad experience with another dog. So I, I don't actually want to leave the house and go on the walk today. You know, they, they're probably going to do that. But, you know, I, I got in the car yesterday and when I tried to get out, I was a total arse and I got dragged out the car. Right now I'm in the car again. I know yesterday I got dragged out the car and I know what will happen if I... The likelihood. Yeah, so they, they will use the past and their current experiences to decide how they yep. behave. Yeah, I agree now, with that. Yeah. But they don't kind of go, 
Uh, you know, but tomorrow... What's likely to happen next? What's likely to happen next? They don't project outwards at all. And so I think um, that the trauma response or the emotional upset or the worried about things, I just don't think they can do that. But they can have. Never in my life have I experienced feeling safe. Never in my life. I always know that every time I get my food, I get kicked, right? They can know that. So I'm not going to want to around my food. I'm going to be really careful because I know every time in my life. So they can absolutely do that. I might, that might look like future pacing. It might look like that. So we should really talk more about um, experiences rather than positive reinforcement yep. and rather than punishment. We yep. should really talk about experience-based learning. Yep. So that we can say, even though that has happened, this is now happening, and this is now what's going to happen. And so, through um, retraining the brain, yep. we can convince them that the past is no longer relevant. So that's where we talk about constant repetition, right? So they're yes. const- So if you think of a trend line, you have a trend line that shows everything you've experienced before that now is informing how you experience stuff today. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the trend line so that when they, they look back the way, they're seeing something different to predict what happens now. With a human, if I've got a, a person with a problem, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to find what their brain is matching back to. What's that memory, that key moment where their brain decided that this was a risk to them? And I'm going to reprogram that. I'm going to talk to them and we're going to change the way that memory is stored so that when they're predicting the future, they don't have that anymore as a reference point. Okay. And then we're going to do the experience-based learning to say, okay, well, how different is your day-to-day life when that memory can't be referenced anymore? And it's not informing what happens next, and they have to learn. And that. you do that in human therapy. That's so why you I do, do human therapy. Yeah. But so I can't do it in a young child because a young child doesn't have the capacity to understand like previous memories. So I will work with kids aged eight and upwards. So isn't that fascinating that we have the ability to experience as a youngster, but not to understand the experience? That's the very problem we've got. Like why? Why does that even happen? So we've also got the the need and yes. the urge to experience. But we don't have the ability to understand the Because experience. to survive, we need to kind of have a version. We need to have those experiences. We need to know we don't do it. So that our brains are programmed on this caveman survival thing. The need to fit in, the need to be loved, the need to not be hurt. That is the moment we're born in the same way as a, um, a herd animal can run as soon as it's born. Because a herd animal to survive needs to be able to run. Whereas um, a predator can actually survive a lot longer because its parents hunt for it and it will be taught by its parents how to hunt that's a different a slower survival imperative so with humans our survival imperative is you have to have instinctively these needs met without even needing to understand why you need to fit into a group because in the caveman days you couldn't survive if you didn't you need to be loved because you are, if you don't bond with your mother you die as an animal um, and you need to not be hurt because hurt equals death so you need to right from the get-go react to these situations without needing to worry about why and the problem is that those caveman rules are not applicable <laughs> we don't need to fit into not anymore yeah. we don't need to be loved to survive and being hurt is not going to kill us 
and yet we're all programmed so the first part of our brain development is allowing us to instinctively respond to those situations and then as we get older we learn like a predator learns the kind of complexities of it as our brain develops what this really means so but it takes a long time for a human it takes a long time until mid-twenties and at that point we all are convinced that you know, we're we're adults and we're capable. And to be fair, we're even we able are. to have children at that point. But we function before that point. We function remarkably well, despite thinking there's an invisible well, tiger you, every you time. Well, you say that, right? You say that we're, we function. <laughs> I don't think that we do. I think that they're, they're, that's the reason for a lot of the problems that we have as it humans. It is, but the problems that people have as humans, they're functioning. They are. But there's a function then for survival. Yep. And actually, um, do you know Gemma? Yes. She might not appreciate me saying this now. Um, we're talking about how in lockdown we all reverted to um, wearing the slack bottoms and, and you know, more jogging bottoms and just general not really bothering about what we looked like. Um, and it's still kind of going on. So you'll you'll see this is the fashion in some parts now. You know, wearing these matching jogging bottoms even though they're not doing a sport. And um, Pajamas. It's not off. It's not uncommon to see somebody in pajamas and um, yes. house shoes in the supermarket, right? So I've got two parts of my my um, my psychology in this. The first part is my imprinting from my mum, who is you 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 know um, the queen will tell us how we should behave and what manners and etiquette is, okay. and that filters down to the to the people, right? Okay. Um, this is very um, appropriate right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you have the people that don't uh, the other side of that is that I don't care um, yep. what people think I'm just going to do what I do because it's comfortable and I can't be bothered yeah. so not making an effort yeah. so my imprinting is making effort it's yes. important appearances are important but the other part of me is well why should we why should we go to anybody's expectations like you say we, no, nobody's judging you really yeah. um, well everybody's judging but it doesn't really but matter but there's nothing to do with what you've done that's the thing. So everybody judges. Everybody has, but it's based on their own perceived things. So I might right. notice your your jewellery because jewellery is interesting to me. Somebody else might notice your hair because hair is interesting to them, or your jumper because clothes are interesting. How, how so it's, yeah, it's what matters it. to them. But they're judging. But there's nothing you can do about it. So Gemma had said, "We're all in survival mode, where other things are more important." Yeah. And and that sort of resonated with me, like, oh yeah, because we all are now in that different mindset interesting yeah yeah so um other so things take precedence i've don't never they? really cared what people but you don't come out in your pajamas and you brush your hair well don't brush my hair her hair is very neat i know it's just that my head does its own thing whatever i do with it so um so somebody if somebody said to you you know um i wouldn't go out my job pajamas my idea of <laughs> hell is hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy <laughs> i just find that really uncomfortable to watch it's like change out your bloody dressing gown put some clothes on exactly I, why is that i get dressed every morning yes. i get out of bed i don't stay in bed i wake up i get up i get dressed every day never have missed a day on that i've never had a pajama day um, the only time I wouldn't do that is if I was too ill to get out of bed and then I wouldn't get out of bed so therefore I wouldn't <laughs> get dressed but I have never in my life failed to get so up so why is dressed. that why is that important that's to you that's because of my stuff my stuff yeah but yeah. why is that important it's a safety thing for me okay I don't feel safe if I'm in my pajamas but I'm okay if I'm asleep so, so why put them on in the first place because well I, I you know to be honest with you my pajamas are shorts and a t-shirt so I don't really wear pajamas in that sense anyway. So if I needed to, I would be able to go out of the house in my pajamas because they're effectively house clothes anyway. Yeah. But that's my stuff. But my mother, because she was ill, 
um, she would spend at least two hours a day putting her face on, she would put her makeup on, she would put a lot of effort into her appearance, her clothes, her jewellery, her makeup were incredibly important to her because to her um, she felt so bad inside because she was so ill that she put all her effort into her external appearance so she would not go out without doing all of that and that was incredibly important to her so when I first put makeup on I was going to I don't do it very often at all um, I was going to a, an awards dinner and my child was like you know <laughs> who are you and then when she was experimenting with makeup when she was younger um, she's like well you don't know anything about makeup because you never wear it I'm like you're wrong but okay <laughs> you know but yeah so my mother it was very important to her to look how she didn't feel two police cars going so past. if she didn't get put makeup on one day that may signal to you something was wrong well I mean she just wouldn't go out so if somebody um, was normally not wearing pajamas and suddenly wore pajamas yes or um, didn't have a shower for a week or something yes um, that might be signifying that something's going on so if somebody's normally wearing pajamas yes and just doesn't make an effort yeah that's, that's different. just their choice so it would be the, the change that yeah. would be the important factor yeah I mean one of the most common things when people are depressed or really struggling is that all elements of self-care go out the, ha- out the window right so not looking after the house not looking after themselves not doing anything like that so and there's levels of it there's obvious levels and there's less obvious levels there's the not eating particularly well there's not eating at all and things like that that are signs that somebody's struggling so they just do what they need to do to get by they cover up well but internally and in their life there's nothing matching yeah no effort no effort yeah so i think um oh no they they pulled that car over drama (laughs) on the kingsway it's a strange place to be pulling people over isn't it yeah well it's going to cause a massive traffic jam to be fair, yeah, if you're going to pull somebody over, they should be um, the guy should have just come off. So I don't know what's exactly what's happening because there's two police cars, yeah. and there's just one little like what is it a Volkswagen Golf or something like that? Yeah. And uh, why do you need? To, he wasn't exactly racing down or anything. Four police officers. But yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, they're driving his car now. Are they? Maybe he's drinking. Has he broke? Or is he broken down? Oh, maybe. Or, but why would you need two police cars for that? It's, it's two girls. Oh, this, yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. Like drama <laughs> while we're on the, you know, we're on the podcast. <laughs> so we were talking, or we we're going to be talking about um, punishment and uh, aversive techniques. Yes. So we were talking about that kind of how we learn and the instant gratification thing and the future pacing. Because we had a conversation when we were walking around the park about Tristan and his frisbee. So I recognised that um, I've been trying different experiments on him, right? So he um, likes to have a tug. That's his favourite thing, is tug. Um, It's definitely a power play uh, with him. And I want to now explain why I know this, but I don't really know why I know this. I just know that for him, it's his go-to for I'm strong, I'm strong. And I think one of the factors of me changing his mind about attacking me and other people was convincing him that he's not as big and strong as he thinks he is. Okay. Um, which means that I have to take control of resources, um, especially his free time, um, and then slowly build up to being able to play with him. I just couldn't at first. It was just you can't. How do you outstrength a, a yeah. Mali, right? And um, 
so I've been trying different things because when I'm training him he works really well for a toy and not so well for food so initially it was food and I was like I don't really want to eat your food I just want this frisbee and the frisbee is his new cool thing um, so I've been trialling different techniques and the first technique was um, to use the, the collar um, so vibrate to let go Sorry. so vibrate let go and throw it again right um, and that was um, okay but normally what I see is without the collar, you fade it eventually and then it works. And he was like, oh you, no, no, I'm just going back to just tugging this again. Right? You, you kind of say, don't you, that when he's, um, you know, you narrate it and you're like, I want you to throw it, but I don't want to go. I want, I want, I want you to, to tug it and I, I want to have it, but I want you to throw it as well. So throw it, but don't make me let go of it. <laughs> It's basically no take, what it does. Only no take, throw. only throw. <laughs> so um, then the next technique was because that that wasn't working. So I tried to shift his his, his brain, and he was like, "I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it forever, right?" Mm. So and I want something that's going to be sustainable. I don't want to have to use a third thing. So the second thing was, okay, if you present it to me, I'll take it from you. But if you tug it, I'm going to let go. Yeah. And I did this for weeks, right? Um, I tugged it away, I just walked away. Like, I'm not throwing it for you. And this never changed his perception of it. Right. Never. Like, he, he, he wasn't like, oh, I've tugged it away, therefore I'm not getting it thrown. Right, okay. Um, and the reason that I'm working really hard on, on different things, so I've always obviously tried swapping for food, swapping for a ball, you know, or another frisbee. Um, and that's probably the, the best thing, really, is to get it from him and throw it. The problem with the, the, the thing that he's doing, the tugging, is that he's so motivated, which is amazing. It's exactly what you want from, yep. from a working dog. Um, but the problem is that when you're trying to teach something, you need several um, successive repetitions for it to sink into the dog's brain. And when it takes, you know, five to ten seconds to get it off him, it takes longer because right. he's not learning instantly. He's, yeah. You know, there's a it's, whole gap There's no between. clear cause and effect. There's a gap between every single. Yep. So with food, it's great. You can just do like set reward, done yep. reward, done reward. But with him, it's like right, get it off. Try yeah. get, you know, it takes a longer time to get anywhere. But you've got a really high motivation to keep working. Yeah. Um, almost too much. I've had to really work lower levels of adrenaline. I don't know how to teach that. I don't know how to teach somebody how to see when the dog's gone too far and just stop the game. Yes. That's the kind of j- I just know. Do yeah, you know? Yeah, you do it on the walk sometimes when dogs are playing and it's, it's like, it's okay, it's okay, okay, they get a bit too much <laughs> now, can you call them in? So um, I realised that taking the toy from him, the frisbee from him, was aversive. Right. So if I'm trying to be aversive free, I should never take that toy off him, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay. Right, <laughs> because it does want it thrown, but taking it from him, even to throw it, is hugely aversive to him. Okay. So there's a conundrum, right? Because we're trying to we're trying to be like, right? Let's and uh, don't worry, I'm not, not turning to the dark side or anything. You know, I'm not trying to be force free or whatever. But um, I, I, I try everything that I do. I'm questioning. You know, what would somebody that was force free say to me right now? Yeah. I'm always thinking of that, which is why I wrote on the force free pages way back with that weasel that arrived. You know, uh, how would you get it out of the car? This is the situation you're faced with. What would you do? And they just wouldn't. They no, just they wouldn't they said it. you'd just put it to sleep or you give it a steak. Yeah. Those were the two options. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I have to be just okay with the fact that this is aversive to him. Yep. This is what's happening. And uh, the best thing is to swap him for another one immediately so yep. he can go. But the problem I've got is that I want him to do a behaviour in between getting the reward 
to see. And he yeah. loves doing the behaviours. He'll do them all day long. Yeah. But the initial giving up the the toy is is hugely negative for him. He doesn't want to give the toy up. No. He wants to chase it, and he wants to work because he'll work all day long. He'll work quite happily. Um, but the giving it up is the is the big big deal for him. And I think the thing I've just got to do is get used to the fact that this is aversive for him. Yes. You know, I'm not going to change his concept that this is a negative. Yep. Because I've tried several different methods of, you know, getting to that point. Yes. And it's not a problem, you know. No. And he does. Um, so, um, yeah, at the moment what I'm doing, I, I want him to let it go quicker. Mm-hmm. So at the moment what I'm doing is opening his jaw and not saying anything. So I'm, I'm expect he knows now to, when I hold this, I want you to give it up. Yeah. So I take his jaw open and remove it um, quite t- toughly, like, you know, this is mine. Yeah. Give it up. Um, but I'm dealing with taking this dog on a walk where several people are also playing with him and, and not being consistent with his training yes, yeah. which is kind of like your average family pet where you've got some people um, not saying any words some people trying to be too forceful any more than two people or two Chaos. people in, in a relationship with a dog you don't get consistency yeah that's right because there's always one soft one that's a good one to there's always a soft one who, who and there's always the one that wants to, to do the changes and you see this with um, you've seen this with Susie, right? When she's gone to places, you give them really clear instructions on on how much to feed her. And Susie's really food motivated, and on the walk she's like, "Give me food, give me food, give me food," with everybody. And then the minute she goes and stays with anybody, she comes back and she actually spat food out once. I don't she, understand. It was just like, and you're like. The what first, the first person I said 300 grams a day, which is under what she would get from me. Yeah. And then the second person was 200 grams a day. And each time she comes back, she should be hungry. Yeah. She's going, no, I don't need it. Yeah. So what are they doing? They have a husband. <laughs> in our house, it's the same thing. You know, my husband's the one that, that is the soft one that, that gives in and thinks it's being kind. Can't tell the difference. My husband still plays with the kitten with his hands. I'm like, stop it. And then he just gets all hurt and upset. I'm telling him to stop it. He's like, I'm fine, I wasn't doing anything. I'm like, you were. So why it's important for me with with Tristan is so that um, I can do repeat behaviours yes. quickly and also so that he's not reverting back to, oh, hang on a second, I can control this, because that's what he was like. I re- literally remember pl- uh, playing and training with him and not being able to walk him back to the house with the toy. I had to leave the toy in the park, take him back, and then go back for the toy. I'm really annoyed that I had to do that, but there's no way I could have him and the toy at the same no. time, because he was just losing and his shit. you give him the toy on the walks, because it's a great distraction for him. Well, now, now that he's um, yeah. got to a place where I'm happy, in the last few weeks he's been muzzle-free, as you know, and um, he he um, has his sort of either rubber toy or today he's got this little dummy thing it's hilarious it's a Kong of a dummy so he just looks you know ridiculous <laughs> and um, or this frisbee and so when he's having a moment like he's getting nipped today by one of the collies on the walk he bites down on the on the toy so it's like he's having a I call it more politically correct yes to bite the toy than turn around and bite yes, the dog absolutely you know? uh, so his tolerance has hugely grown yeah um, but I also have to be careful that he doesn't get obsessive with it because it's very easy to go, well, this is so the only walk that he gets to carry that toy with is the walk where I'm distracted by people. Yes. Whereas if I'm walking on my own or um, he doesn't he doesn't get the toy. He, you know, I'm engaging with him and I'm doing running with him and, you know, doing different yeah. activities yeah, yeah. Um, so that he's not just doing this one thing all the time. And that's the danger that we can get an obsession or an OCD. Yeah. Yeah, and that's about living in the moment, right? So it's it's like now, 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 now. So we are all um, instinctively motivated to 
now, which is why um, addictions are so hard to break, right? Because I feel terrible. I'm going to do the thing that stops me feeling terrible now. So when you're working with somebody with an addiction, what, what's your... Um what are your first initial thoughts? Well, all behaviour serves a purpose. So my first thought is, why did they start the addiction in the first place? What was the situation that triggered the need to... So what's the emotion behind the need? Is it when I'm stressed, when I'm overwhelmed, when I feel sad, when I feel happy? What, what is it, the thing? Um, when I need confidence, so drinking. I need confidence when I'm in a social situation. So I started off drinking because... Um, I was in social situations and I felt really uncomfortable and I wanted to fit in so I started drinking and then it became a thing that I did whenever I felt uncomfortable so the brain has a pathway that says feel this way drink to sort it now it doesn't matter that the drinking has massive consequences on every aspect of your life because it's not logical because it's not it's instinctively motivated so you do it now and then afterwards you deal with the consequences and feel terrible and you wonder why you could stop it so you're dealing with underlying emotion you're dealing with what's behind it not so most people when they deal with an addiction will deal with the behavior and try and change the behavior but if all behavior serves a purpose if you don't get rid of the purpose then you're always going to end up doing the behavior because at the end of the day, you're knackered, you haven't got any brain left, you know. You maybe it's not about willpower. Well. It's not about willpower, right? And willpower helps, but willpower usually is only available at the start of the day until you're burnt out, and at the end of the day, you just go, this is why you kind of go, I'll go to the gym after work, and then you never go to the gym after work because you haven't got any willpower points left. You know? yeah. So it's, it's, it's looking at what led to it, and I think to some degree you're looking at the same, you're, you're seeing what the dog's presenting, but you're like, why is the dog presenting this way? Well, often to me, the most common one is car chasing, so the one, one for me is um, boredom, um, which doesn't fit with any of your... Well, it, it's, it's like for a human, being bored isn't a problem. For a dog, being bored is not, that's not normal for an animal lack to be purpose, bored. Lack of purpose, right? Yeah, lack of um, stimulation. Right, so um, we don't need constant stimulation. Kids do it more, but they can be taught to find their own way out of boredom. But adults are pretty good at not needing constant stimulation. If you need constant stimulation, then there's other things going on, right? <laughs> um, so, but animals don't don't have that need. So, if you put an animal in a state um, where it's got nothing to do, and it, it's it's going to fill the gap with something and it's going to find a lot of time back to the other podcast we did it's going to find a job right it's going to it's going to understand its role in that context and you can see why that would be so difficult for your average person to hear that you know your love isn't enough the dog is chasing traffic because you're not you're not meeting yeah. its needs in the animal capacity rather than you know but you, you can i think we can understand that as as humans again i think we can understand that you, you might be in a relationship that's just like a wonderful relationship right you might have a partner that's that's with you and supports you does that suddenly make you happy are you okay and fulfilled in your life actually you probably find that you just assume your partner's going to leave you at some point and you know you're, you're a letdown to everybody and you know all these things that people struggle with uh, uh, what is the purpose in life they they try and do everything for everybody else and nobody does that for them and nobody sees their problems and nobody understands and nobody cares even if you've got a partner that's been with you through thick and thin you just don't see that so I, I think I think we're the same with other people that we just I can't make you feel better by just saying hey Jess you're great you know I mean you might get a little oh it's nice to hear I'm great 
but if I'm feeling really low and really rubbish about myself, you telling me I'm really good at what I do isn't actually going to suddenly make me feel better. Just like it, like seeing someone who's depressed, you know, it's fine. It'll yeah, your life out. is great, right? So you've got everything, <laughs> you've got no reason to be depressed. And, and then you kind of got an expectation versus reality mismatch that goes on. You're like, okay, yeah, but you don't really know. I don't really know and I should and, be better. And therefore, if you don't know, then none of your words matter. And they make it worse, right? Because now, yeah, you're right, I should feel better. Oh, I should. I sh- yeah. Everything should be okay and yet I feel miserable and you don't understand, so now it makes the gap bigger, not smaller. So, but it's it's meant well. So it's the same thing with, with the dogs, I think. You know, you just, you can't see that kind of, it from their perspective. And again, because we don't see dogs as dogs, we don't see it from their perspective, we see it from a human perspective. Always, yes. So, um, we also talk, we're talking about safety and security, um, which is sort of universal, I think. That's the first thing that's uh, a requirement, right, is feeling safe. Yeah. And so many behaviours um, come from that lack of security, yeah. which is a really sad one when it comes to dogs and people, because the last thing you want to hear is, you're not making your dog feel secure. Yes. The dog's anxious because he doesn't feel safe with you. That's yeah. going to show you. Yeah, it is. It's it's, and again, you, you're projecting your human stuff onto them and not seeing the dog, so you don't realise that a dog has different needs to feel safe. And I don't think it's particularly difficult to make a dog feel safe, is it? Interesting question. See. Well, again, you know, viewing it with the the human. Um, I have all this love I want to give to this animal. Yes. Right? So I'm not asking um, what people think it is, I'm asking what your, if you were formula for dog, right? What would, in the formula for dog, what would be th- the elements of safety and security? Um, a, a place to call home. Okay. Um, so uh, now what's a place to call home? So like a, a, a den, so a regular place that they go to. Okay. So, so yeah. a regular place that they, that is theirs that they go to. Yes, that is not um, interrupted so by constant stranger danger. Okay, so if they were in a, um, if they were moving between houses because somebody was working, or um, if they were going to a place of work, and um, there were lots of other people around that they met, would that make them feel unsafe? It could do, couldn't it? So um, you're talking about, obviously we've got a, a wide variety of dogs. So if we take the extremes, which would be a, a baby puppy. Mm-hmm. Baby puppy's going to want to know what the rules and boundaries are, and, and you know where, where do I call home, where do I sleep? And um, we know that sleep patterns are hugely important. So if it's somewhere that's not familiar, we're not going to sleep as well. Okay. So would interrupt. safety then include uninterrupted sleep and the ability to sleep without being interrupted? Yes, okay. that's a big one. Um, for a street dog who's been adopted from the streets of Romania or whatever, mm-hmm. um, these dogs are used to be running and um, from people, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, thinking of an extreme example where a dog's been hiding in a corner of a room. So they tend to, a dog that's fearful or anxious about a new place will tend to find an area that they consider safe. And it's normally a corner or a wee hovel or uh, they call it the cave, right? Yeah. And if a human comes into that space, they're going to show very clearly, they're going to show um, signs of help. So trying to back away or even growling. So at the very minimum, a corner or a space that nobody else can, you know, I, I can, nothing's going to approach me from behind, right? Yeah. So the cave or the corner okay. is a, I've got one viewpoint to look yeah. out. 
um, and you know, not even it's not even defence at that point, is it? It's just um, absolute survival. If you come into this, I, I I've got nowhere to go, yeah. so I'm going to put my, my teeth on. Um, so yeah, I think that the first the first one for me at the top of the pyramid is going to be um, a safe place to sleep and to stay. Okay. So a dog that was going between places, it depends on the resilience of that dog. So yes. That would freak out the street dog. Yeah. Um, who's going to be like, oh, where am I now? Um, but for a puppy, he's going to be like, okay, this is interesting. This life is, this is how my life works. I go between places. Yeah. So, um, yeah, dog, dogs are going to be, there's going to be lots of differences between them. But, um, yeah, it's the consistency part then, isn't it? So if that puppy was a new place every single day, he's going to have to have good resilience, otherwise he's going to turn into one effed up puppy. <laughs> yeah, but if, if that is his normal, then it wouldn't be an issue at all because he would adapt, right? Yeah, he would, but I think he might end up crazy if he wasn't giving adequate sleep, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. If he was constantly on the go. I mean, I think about a child that was constantly moving around without a, so it's, a downtime. So it's safe space for downtime. So part of safety is including somewhere that's yours that you can have downtime in without being interrupted. Yeah. And I wonder how many dog owners have that in their house for their dog. Yeah, because we we think that the kindness is to let the dog go and sleep wherever it wants. That's the most common thing. Or for me. to have its bed by your bed, have its have a bed by your sofa, and have a bed by your bed. So it's always. This is close definitely to you. a post, by the way, because I do think that most people assume dog sleeps at night. Yeah. And is awake during the day. Yeah. And they don't realise just how many hours a dog actually needs of sleep compared yep. to our measly eight. Yes, and also um, what a safe sleeping environment is for a dog. Mm-hmm. So we get it a nice bed, um, nice big squishy fluffy bed, and we put it next to ours so it can be close to us, so it doesn't have to feel lonely. And that may not be, because you know we give it a fuss when we come past. We get up to the toilet, we give the dog a little fuss because it's in the bed by the bed. You know. Do you think that relates to how how people perceive loneliness? Because I've never felt like a dog's bed needs to be near mine. I've never felt I've never felt the concern of my dog being lonely. Yes. So I messaged you quite a while back and asked you if you ever felt lonely. And the basis of it was. It was like when you've got that many dogs, is it actually possible to feel lonely? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the fact that I quite often feel lonely because I feel disconnected from people, and that's actually my problem because I don't let people connect to me. I have barriers, so my barriers protect me from being hurt when people disconnect from me, but also mean I'm never quite as connected as other people might be. And the result of that is feeling lonely a lot of the time. So, you know, the question is, if you've got a dog, does that stop you feeling lonely, right? If you've got multiple dogs, does that stop you feeling lonely? And then, um, so I don't worry about my cats feeling lonely, you know, because they're cats, right? They do their own thing. <laughs> they can go and out and live with somebody else. They can go out and they can choose, they can <laughs> live with somebody else, or they can come and sit with me, and that's their choice. And so they have they have a choice in that, but it doesn't work the same with dogs as it does with cats. It doesn't, and I think that um, my answer would have been different a few years ago, because, and I have a... Uh, a network of um, trainees and peers that you know share similar problems. I think that's really, really important. So I was a lonely dog trainer a few years ago because yeah. I didn't have anyone to talk to about this kind of nonsense. Yes. Um, and you know, you, on, you look at yourself like, am I the crazy one? Yeah, like, yeah. Surrounded by this, you know, different. Yeah, that happens difficult. a lot. And then you said, well, actually, that happens the same in the therapy world. There's people that are um, arguing about which is the best 
um, way to do things and you're yep. quite out there on a limb doing your own little thing yep. and well and so with evidence to support that so we're similar in, in our fields that we're yeah. doing different things and um, yeah I think that the loneliness for me is um, uh, you know, definitely different now because of that um, but the dogs provide a day to day so I can imagine if I went home how my situation is just now uh, if I went home without anything, I think I might be feeling like, hmm, yes. I do talk to them a lot and there's a lot of them. So, yeah, yes, I don't, it's never really no something dogs, that crosses my mind. If there were no dogs at home, you know, we'd have our conversation here, we'd do our thing and you went home and there was nobody and nothing at it home. It might be a bit weird, yeah. <laughs> a bit weird based on what you've been through. But the dogs are pack animal. You don't get lone dogs really, right? So potentially that means the dog could also be lonely. Because it needs it needs company and, and you know a human would be enough or not enough. But isn't that interesting, right? So the psyche of the human is I put the bed by my bed so it's not lonely and doesn't mm. feel and I'm I'm distressed when I feel it crying, hear it crying yes. or you know if or if I put it in the kitchen and I think. But at the same time, I spoke to somebody today who leaves her dog at home for eight hours a day and it's perfectly happy. She sits on the camera sleeping until she gets home. She's got a weird shift, like from half past five in the morning till okay. two. So um and he's perfectly happy and that's like there's a lot of people that just assume the dog's gonna be fine on its own yeah which i find really bizarre like i would never do that like no. maximum of one dog on its own i don't know an hour or two hours okay why well just that like what are they gonna do <laughs> you know i know that they'll sleep but then so what they're gonna do when they're awake there's so much energy they're gonna get up to no good but if that dog's got a camera and it's sleeping for eight hours and it's used to that then there's no problem right yeah if, if it's a dog that's kind of doing presumably it's had to get used to that so it's an adult now would, would show you that there's sure yeah i understand that so yeah this dog seems to be okay yeah. um you know maybe conditioned to just sleep and then wake up later so it's got a different sort of schedule yeah, then, but if um, you've got like two dogs, then it would be alright, right? So because they've got each other for company. That's my thinking. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting. It's an interesting concept because lonely is an interesting concept. It's. I think it was. Um, it's almost reached epidemic levels in the UK. People are can be lonely. It's surrounded by people, though, right? As yeah, well. but, so you can be lonely in a family or. But even just people living alone, I think the pandemic made that a lot worse in many ways. I, I think. Have you ever read? Um, there's a book called Eleanor. Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. No. It's actually a brilliant book, but it's about loneliness. Um, and I won't tell you any more because I'll spoil the book, but it's a really good read. Um, and it's quite a famous read now. Lots of people have read it, but it's, it's fundamentally about that kind of concept of loneliness. She lives on her own. Um, and... And I think it's such a such a complex thing because it, you're right, it can't be fixed by just being around people, right? You don't automatically stop being lonely because you're around people. You can be more lonely when you've gone from being on your own to being around people but feeling you don't connect and you don't fit in. That can accentuate the loneliness. Uh, yeah, um, and it's definitely a, a sort of cultural thing as well, I think, because many cultures uh, are very family orientated yeah. and there's a connection there yeah, yeah. Um, so I think it starts from the bigger picture so you can have a family who's a unit living next to a family who's a unit living next to a family who's a unit and none of those three can speak and it's quite normal so I don't really speak to any of yeah. my neighbours like hi but not really speak to any of my neighbours um, so we're all like islands and that wouldn't have happened back in the day. So like primitively speaking, it doesn't happen in many cultures. There's a connection yeah. there. And then the, the also the other thing is that we live away from our families. So there are many places still, like Germany, where uh, obviously my heritage is, 
you know, you would buy a house with upstairs, downstairs be- uh, houses, uh, yeah. to two houses, almost like flats, I suppose. And the um, parents would eventually move to the bottom flat, and right. the children would take the top. Right. Okay. Um, it's a sort of traditional thing, and they would help each other. Whereas now we just chuck the old people in. And, uh, yes. Old folks' homes. When I, um, I spent a year living in Stockport when I was about nine years old, and it was um, a terraced houses, and uh, so we had neighbours on either side, and then neighbours across the road, and our door was always open, and the neighbours just went in and out of the house. We had an old lady who ne- lived next door. We used to, um, she used to feed our cats, and it was fine, you know. And we used to take fish and chips every now and again. And I used to, the, the lady across the road had a couple of young kids, and I used to go across the road all the time, and I just go to her house all the time, and we just were all in each other's houses all the time. There was a real community, and it was just normal, you know, because it was so physically connected. Whereas when I lived in Watford, I I don't know who my neighbours were. I didn't even know what they looked like half the time, you know. Obviously, I've recently moved back to the city, and um, it's it was really foreign to me to walk past somebody and not recognise their existence. Yes. So you know, I'd say good morning or hello. And I would be met with a, what the fuck are you talking to me for? Look, you yes. know, because that's normal. You can walk past lots of people, and like imagine big cities like New York having to say hi to everybody. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, they, they can be better because you have the localized communities. So so the problem in Watford was it's um, it's effectively a suburb of London. It's like 15 minutes on the train into London. It has the London waiting, but it's not London. It's not part of London, but it's in the M25, and. Um, Literally, you'd walk past somebody in Asda, and if you bumped into them, I'd be going, "Oh, sorry," and they just would, you would don't exist. Something bumped into me, and they don't exist. So when I moved back to Scotland, and you go into Asda, if you bump into somebody, they, "Oh, sorry," and you go, "Oh, people, they talk to each other," you just, but you just got used to it. You just you just adapted to the fact that nobody made eye contact. But surely that's more of a um, environment for loneliness. It is it because be. you're you're not um, even being recognised as existing. Yeah. So communities can be family-based communities, they can be cultural-based communities, but they can be shared experience-based communities. Um, and one of the hardest things to do is when you're feeling lonely is to make a choice to go and join a community because you're lonely. Because the very fact that you're lonely means that you don't have the resources to make a choice to do something about it. Okay. So even like an online community or something that like that. That seems really illogical to me, but okay. Yeah, yeah, because it's not a logical thing. Most of what we talk about isn't logical, even though you Damn love it. it to be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's a really tricky thing, and I think that you know if you you have no family, you have no community, but you have an animal, and that animal is happy to see you when you walk in the door. That animal snuggles up with you. That animal is just everything, and unconditionally accepts you. And you might be lonely, but not to the same scale. Which is why then you'd be so protective over it if some trainer says it's just being a exactly. bot. <laughs> exactly. And, and you know, you, it gives you a reason for living. It gives you a reason for getting up. In the so day. when we have people coming, like the couple that came this week, and he's arguing about his <coughs> wonderful dog. Um, but, 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 but it's this, but it's, it'll come to you for help. I'm not going to listen to anything you say because I've got better ideas. Yeah. Right? Um, Perhaps the, we should take into consideration that he might be feeling lonely even though he's in a relationship. That dog might mean something greater to him than we think. I, I, we I don't aware. think it's loneliness, but I do think you're right, and the dog means something greater to him. It's a connection, it's um, sometimes a sense of achievement. So if, if I. Um, 
I need to recognise that part that, that he's um, yes. got with the dog, even though I think he's completely wrong and the dog's better off without him at the moment. <laughs> um, the, that I don't know how to recognise that right now. Yes, so it's a very it's a very human, very emotional thing, which doesn't sit well. The emotional side doesn't sit well. You're just job done, right? Get the job done. This is what we need to do. It makes sense. You've come to me for help. I'm telling you what you need to do. It's that brain switch off mode that we talk about because they're not listening, right? So he wasn't listening. He wasn't capable of listening because he has an emotional connection. And but there must be something to get the, to 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 say or to do to get him on side because at yes. the moment we're the enemy, right? Yes. We're saying something that we believe to be true, and he's coming back with a no, that's not true, even though he's not the one that's the expert in this area. But he was coming back with it as opposed to just walking away. Okay. Right. So the first thing is that there is a part of him that absolutely wanted to see the change. So that's the part we talk to. The other part has to have its say and actually dominates a lot of the time, but still the part that goes, but I'm still standing here arguing with you because I know I want this dog to change. And you telling me I can't be helped would be like the worst thing ever because that would be terrible and we were not going to tell people that because that's not true but um, can we sometimes get can we get through to everybody to get them help that's not always possible but the, the, I know it's not but there must be a key for that individual person to find that if you press it and the person if goes only people were that easy then like, the therapy <laughs> sessions would just be like oh I've worked out what the button to press is I've pressed the button and now everything's fixed well for me uh, ouch for me <laughs> it's like this really high windowsill right here just a wee bit too high. Um, it's, it's the switching off my emotional, sorry, my, my logical part yeah. um, to, to start. Because I, I, I recognise that we were the bad guys and yeah. he's fighting us and we shouldn't have to be the bad guys because yeah. we're all on the same bloody team, right? We're all trying to get the benefit of the dog. Yeah. But we become the bad guys when he's not seeing it how we see it and when he's not, you know, yeah. both ways. So he's frustrated at us, we're frustrated at him. Yeah. But there must be something that I can do to switch off the logic and go, right, okay, so he, this emotional connection <coughs> that he's got, um, what can I say to help understand that he's um, going through this yes. hugely So it's experience-based learning, again, remember? So you can only learn by doing, not by being talked at or talked to. Okay. So he's not going to get on the same page as you. You need to hug his dog and tell him <laughs> that his dog is the best dog I've ever met. You need to chunk down. The rule is when something is too big to deal with, you chunk it down into small, manageable units. Slices. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to slices. <laughs> chunk it down. So, what we talked to them about was do it for a few days, do it for a week. We're not saying that this is what you need to do, you don't have to change it. Well, behavior. I think he was confused by that because I've been going, right, strict routine, this is what you've got to do, right? Yes. And then you've gone, like clearly that hasn't worked for him because he's got too much pressure on his dog so but you've gone just let it be a dog just relax and do nothing and he's like what yeah so i'm gonna let it run a people i'm gonna let it do this thing right no. but that's experience-based <laughs> learning so his experience says that if he doesn't do the things that you say then his dog will do all the old behaviors and he's right to a degree but the problem we were discussing was nothing to do with the dog's behaviors it was a different problem we were now discussing. So that's where you chunk down. Perhaps that's the bit that he didn't understand, that we've got so far. Yeah, but you left the conversation. He understood it by the end. Good. I did leave. <laughs> Both uh, me and Ashley left. Yeah, everybody left. We were like, no, we we're not dealing point. with this. Um, but, um, you know, so, so that was, it, it's a really, 
it's a really interesting case study <coughs> to discuss this because um, people will struggle to see what we see. Right? Same thing working with kids. Uh, that's why I'm asking the question. Like there must be a way to the, listen the to what they're saying. The question is the wrong way of asking the question, right? Okay. You're just assuming there's a way, there's a magic key, there's a thing, right? In the same well, way. for each person, there must be something that we can, uh, like you know, when you're you're telling us, um, like at the workshop this week, right? So you're saying that um, some people are visual. So Don uh, did a wor- uh, talk, talk, sorry, earlier this week for some social workers and um, got us to do a wee exercise. Um, describing how to boil a cup of tea using only visuals. So if you couldn't do anything except describe say it how using it, visual words, what say you how see. it looked. Now I'm just so happened to be good at all of those things, um, and uh, the person that I was working with couldn't do it just by sight, no, so she struggled wasn't with that. Theirs at all. It was interesting, um, and so if you were only hearing but couldn't see and, and you couldn't experience what it would sound like and so on. So every person's got a, a one that they're stronger at. Um, okay, and it, so it was experience-based, yeah. visual, yeah. hearing, yeah. and um, analytical. Okay, so why we're doing something? Why? 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 So um, the Jess model. <laughs> why? So the um, <laughs> um, with each person, we can listen to what they're saying, and it's difficult because when we're listening, we're actually coming up with the next thing we're going to say. Right? We are. So we're not really ever listening to anybody. <laughs> We're always looking for our answers, so you have to be able to listen. Do you think it might be useful to record that kind of conversation, to hear it back, and pick out the bits where he was saying, um, but I see this, or but I hear this, so we can then write back to him using his words? So as a therapist, in the the sort of therapy I was trained in, we were taught to do this. So we're taught, um, it's all about creating rapport. So... um, What was the example? There was somebody who... I think it was here. Um, The other other day we were here and um, I said we need to do the paying thing. And you said we need to do the paying thing to the guy on the till. He says, what, you want want to pay the bill? And and you went, yeah. Right, so um, the skill in rapport building is if you say, do you want to do the paying thing? I'll say, right, come over here, we'll do the paying thing. So I adapt because I can listen my way of communicating to match the way you choose to communicate. That makes life a lot easier between us. So as a therapist, we were taught these ways of um, um, eye recognition systems. They are. They come from um, neuro-linguistic programming, um, the rep systems, they're called. Um, and but it's a huge skill to be able to listen and also formulate an answer to the thing that they're asking. And match your answer to their model of the world so that you have a connection, right? So that's what you're taught as a therapist. So. Um, <laughs> In my training, we would learn to do this, and then we would um, write notes, and then we write a download that we send to our clients. And that download uses their words and their rep systems, so they listen to it at night, and it helps with the reprogramming of the brain. And that's a real, it's really hard to do. And I, I don't, I do it really badly. Um, I don't really do it <laughs> at all, confess. Um, I do use my client's model of the world and I adapt to that while we're talking. How do you find out? So if I, this man that we were speaking to that kept on coming back with the but, 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 right? Yeah. Um, and, he, and he was really trying to let us see his version. Yes. 
and we were trying to let him see our version. So, so you just described your your way of working. He was trying to let us see his version, and we're trying to get him to see our version, right? So you've just told me I'm a visual person. Um, he uh, was. What do I do to find out what kind of person he is? So you're looking at keywords. So um, can I ask him outwardly to no. describe the kettle? No, actually, the, the exercise I do, the main exercise I do before I do the kettle exercise, is I ask you to describe walking down a beach. Right. So if I ask you, all of you listening, to think about describing walking. You've down done that to me before, yeah. yeah. So, so, so you're going to have the visual person will describe what they see, the audio person will describe the sounds of the beach, the kinesthetic person will describe how the feel of the wind on their face, the sand between the toes, and the analytical person will say, well, tell me what sort of beach it is. Is it a stony beach, a rocky beach? You know, what sort of beach is it? So, so you can see from the clues of the language, right? So they will use words like, how does it sound, or this is how I hear it. This is how it feels. So a kinesthetic person will talk about feelings a lot, right? Um, a visual person is how do you see this and stuff like that. So, so how on earth if he comes back with a hearing? So he's a, an audible person. Yeah. Yeah. How am I going to show him what I see in the dogs right. by look hearing? At, look at that sentence, right? <laughs> how am I going to show him what I see, right? <laughs> so you just talked visual, yes. right? So you've gone automatically into how do I show him? Yeah. How am I going to get him to hear me? How am I going to get him to listen to what I'm actually trying to say? Those are audio words, right? So talking about listening and hearing and how it sounds. Does that sound like... So if I've, um, if I've got an analytical person, I, I will say, does that make sense? Right, because an analytical person needs to make sense of stuff, right? So I'll say, does that make sense what I just said? If it's an audio person, I'm like, how does that sound to you? Right? Now, this is a great skill for interviews, by the way, because if you've got an interviewer asking you how something sounds and you're answering by how it feels, right. they literally will feel you don't Confused. understand the question. Yeah, They're like, yeah. you're not understanding the question, you're answering the question I'm asking you. So this is really great, especially in doing talks as well, because you're going to have a mix in your audience. So you need to make sure that your communication meets everybody's needs. Which is really easy for me because I'm analytical and visual. Really hard if I so have to do the feely stuff. Again, if this guy is um, audio, audio, um, I'm not sure how how I could. You'd be going, how does that sound? Does that, does that sound does that sound like it's something you could do? But what I mean is, like, I've got in my mind what you. So you and I are both visual, right? Yes. So I've got in my mind what, what I'm visualizing the dog doing. So I'm visualizing the dog facing him, not yeah. outwardly facing people that are walking past. Yeah. Example, right? But that's visual, so I can see that yes. and trying to plan for that. But he can't because he's. So, what's the audio clue for him that the dog is not got his attention on him? It's barking, it's whining, right? That's too late, though. That's like past, right? Not necessarily. Because so maybe it would be more commands then that he can say. Yeah. So things he can say. Um, how does he get his dog's attention? What's he? So we might say show the dog this, or we might say move the dog. But actually, for him, you want to kind of make say, a little noise, clicker yeah. noises. Right? Clicker training might work really well for him. Okay. Because he can relate things to a sound. Um, but so yeah. to get him on side, it'll, it'll be good to find out what kind of way he sees. It's, it's yeah. You can you can create far quicker rapport by matching the language and the, the kind of way of communicating because then it feels like you're understanding each other and you Creating use rapport, see and show 
all the time in I all do, of your sentences. I know. I'm very aware. <laughs> but the, you know, the worst thing is that your eyes go in the right direction, and, and we can't describe that in a po- podcast so easily. But um, once you know where the eyes go, you start watching people's eyes, and then you just get really distracted. But but essentially, you're right. The problem is that nobody ever listens to each other, anybody. So so actually, listening to somebody enough to notice that they have a different communication style, and then changing yours, knowing how to change yours, is really really tricky. So I tend to splatter gun. I tend to use a mix but I, right. when I first um, when I first it's a good way to cheat great do that for everything um, see what sticks um, my f- one of my first job was tech support I went to do an interview for Microsoft to do tech support for Microsoft Access and the interview process involved me sitting in a room with a headset on and then somebody was somewhere else with a headset on and I had a piece of Lego with like six or seven pieces all made into a shape and I had to talk the other person on the other end of the phone they had the same pieces of Lego but not in the same shape you've told me this before I think we should do this it's great um, back to back and see because we're both visual well, see I how used, good we are I used that in my training I used to use that in my tech support training because it's a great communication skills training that doesn't require any knowledge everybody can do it and it was hysterical it's so much fun because just changing your language to knobbly bits or nodules or but also I think it's um, a really good way to realise that not everyone is able to see things the way they use exactly exactly she says saying CCC because because <laughs> my part of my frustration which I definitely I'm better this yeah. year definitely I'm much more um, relaxed about people fucking up do you yeah. know because either I would blame them or blame me. Yes. Do you know? Whereas now it's like, do you know? It's, it's a puzzle box. It's okay. Everything's a puzzle box. It's like I haven't found the way to crack the puzzle Absolutely. yet. Absolutely. And that, that makes it far more interesting. Yes. If they stick around long enough. If they stick around long enough. And not everybody will because no matter how good you are, not everybody's going to be right to work with you. So. 64.8. Oh, look at us again talking for another hour. There we go. Anyway, that's another podcast done. See you later.